Good morning. Wow, twice in one month. This is epic. Um, it must be the end of the world. That's all I can think. Or as someone said this morning, well, the end of the world as we know it. So that's fair, too. Um, just wanted to make a short announcement saying that, yes, over in the chapel at 1230, if you want to hear about the Kingdom School of Ministry, I'll share some information about it. You can ask me questions. And that's what it's for. I'll do it this Sunday again and next Sunday at 12:30 in the chapel, which is across the parking lot. So um, I'm here to I'm here for you, and uh, that's my service to the Lord and to you. Well, today I'm going to talk about Psalm 103, and that's where we're going to stay is Psalm 103. Of course, there's not a chapter in the Bible um, or a Psalm in the Bible that. In some sense, you could you could spend hours and hours and hours studying. Uh, if you're one of those kind of people that get hung up on a certain word in a certain verse, uh, you can stay there a long time. Um, in fact, I was thinking today, even uh, the Catholics have a, a, a process called lecto divina, where you just focus on that one text, one scripture, uh, meditate on it in silence, and listen for the Lord and and just kind of let the word chew on the word, meditate on the word, and stay there a while. So unlike, you know, trying to read the Bible through in a year, which sometimes we're more in a horse race than we really are, um, a heartfelt a change of our own lives, we're just going to kind of dig in Psalm 103. And, um, you know, it's just it's been an interesting journey studying Psalm 103. Uh, so let's just read it. I, I hope that she has that uh, up there. Uh, but if she doesn't, you know, open up your phone and uh, follow along with me. Um, I'm I'm reading out of the New International Version today. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are all dust. For as man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. 
praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So when I, I read that phrase, praise, praise the Lord, O my soul, I just have a vision of John Hudgens up here singing, Praise the Lord, O my soul. So that's my vision. It's just John Hudgens singing that song. It just blesses me. I don't know what it is about that song in John Hudgens, but it just is, um, inspires my soul. And um, that really is a great song that we do sing. And as I was reviewing this, Psalm 103, there's several songs that came into my head. Um, you know, being in church for many years, we've heard a lot of different, you know, worship songs. And what's really kind of cool is when you do read the Bible, sometimes this song will come along with the text. And I love how people write songs out of the text so when we're reading it, sometimes we sing it. And it just changes the whole dynamic of how we engage in the scriptures and in, in the word of the Lord. It's pretty awesome. So I, I want to just start out and say this is a Psalm of David. And he actually wrote um, uh, 73 of the 150 Psalms. Um, if I ever had unlimited time and energy, I'd figure out all the Psalms that he wrote and why he wrote them. I don't know if anybody's done that book, but it'd probably be like 2,000 pages long if it was. And um, so he didn't even write quite half of all the psalms, but David is, of course, most notoriously known as David the psalmist. And this is one of his psalms, and um, it's very relevant to his life. And also what I have in your notes here is that this is one of the songs of thanksgiving uh, during the time of what would be known as um, Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles that comes around this year, September 29, October 1st. And they're like the times of thanksgiving uh, for Israel. And Psalm 103 through 107 are these songs of thanksgiving. And this is the first one in that order of things. So it's thanking God for everything that he's done. And this is kind of David's reflection. And somewhere there was music to this, uh, which has long been lost. So we don't really know what the tune was. Uh, and I can't imagine, because it was probably written in Hebrew anyway, so it would have a whole different kind of uh, rhythm and pace and canter to it. I would uh, probably, in a, in a major key, I would imagine. Um, the Psalms are also quoted 283 times in the New Testament. Um, that's a lot. In other words, in, within the Psalms themselves are prophetic insights and revelation that the disciples used in order to understand who Jesus was and what the Father was up to. And that was their Bible. The Bible that the disciples used in the time of Christ was, was the, the Pentateuch, as we call the Torah, or even in the books of the prophets, and the whole Tanakh is the uh, Hebrew people call it. And it's important to note that that, that is where a lot of the treasures of, of the kingdom of God are, are kind of hidden and revealed is in the Old Testament itself. Uh, just like this last phrase at the end about how God rules and reigns over everything. And that is his kingdom. So his kingdom is, is clearly seen in the Old Testament text. And so that's important to know. So just, uh, I'm going to try to go just through this psalm and make comments about it and try to just dig out, I think, what the Lord has been speaking to me. I did read a couple of commentaries on it, which uh, in a sense even inspired some direction on this. In any event, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I really call this, in a sense, our responsibility is the first thing we do is just to praise the Lord and then not to forget his benefits. Um, and what it says, praise the Lord, O my soul, what it's talking about in the soul is that our praise comes from this visceral place of we are deeply impacted by the goodness of God and everything he's done for us. And we're able to find that space in our praise and in our worship to where it's, I bless you, Lord, O my soul. That I'm just not doing it with my head, or I'm just not doing it with my mouth, but I'm, I have this visceral reaction to think it's deep within my uttermost. Um, in fact, it's, you know, the bowels are part of that, that concept, is that it's, it's deep in us. And I know full well we're not there all the time. We just don't know how to go there. But when we do get there, it changes us, doesn't it? When we finally have those moments to where we're saying, praise God. And it really means a lot to us. And those are kind of the, the plantings in our own soul that, that nurture us into a greater depth and awareness of how good God is as we find that it impact all of us. Um, I wrote uh, down here that I think um, when I first got saved years and years ago, and I went to church, and um, I heard some guy right in front of me, he was a big, tall guy, and he just said, praise God. And I thought, man, that's cool. And where I come from, that wasn't what we used to talk about. Um, but it was like, praise God. And he said it again. I thought, that's really cool. Well, I must have been saved to think that's a cool thing. I mean, that's all I can say at this point. Um, but it was really true. I, I loved hearing that phrase, praise God. So it's just, you know, forget not all his benefits. Um, as I reread a couple of scriptures on this, uh, one in Psalm 68, which is not in your notes, um, but it does say, pray, Psalm 68:19 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. And then in Psalm 116:12 says, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? Well, the Hebrew word benefits, bears our burdens, goodness to me is all the same word. So that's, what the, that's how it benefits us. It bears our burdens. And now Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon me, you, and learn of me. Um, in fact, the message translation says, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace by taking the yoke of Jesus upon your life. The unforced rhythms of grace. In other words, that's what grace is. It's not anything you work for or work towards. It's something you walk in. And when we receive his benefits... We're graced with not having the burdens, and we're also graced with knowing that his goodness is towards us. The second thing I wanted to sort of say was that we want to understand his ways and our responsibilities. And I, I wrote down here um, that sin brings sickness, but not all sickness is from sin. So we're going to talk a little bit about that word called sin this morning, which is not a popular word in our culture by any stretch. I don't know how popular it is in church because I go to this church. I don't know what everybody else talks about. Um, you know what I mean? To be honest with you, I have no idea what other churches are talking about. 
Um, I used to try to keep track of a lot of stuff, but too hard now. The internet, there's thousands of them out there on the internet. Um, stay local, stay focused. And um, so, you know, it just makes it a lot easier. I mean, and, uh, but it says in verse 3, it says, He forgives all our sins, which is iniquities, and heals all our diseases. And that's a kind of an emphatic sovereign statement. That's exactly what God does. He heals all our sins and heals all and forget, heals all our diseases, forgives all our sins. But the basic word for the man sin, in this context anyway, using like a Hebrew lexicon, which is a fancy term for a Hebrew dictionary, uh, the basic meaning of the word is to bend, to twist, to distort, and it creates crooked behavior or distorted behavior. And I think about, um, you know, King David um, having his little encounter with Bathsheba and then uh, proceeding to murder uh, her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, and how twisted and distorted he was in doing that. And even though the scriptures would tell us that he was a man after God's own heart, uh, nonetheless, he had a twisted, distorted reality that he had to deal with, and he had to change his heart, which is probably why he wrote Psalm 51, you know, change my heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast not your spirit from me. You know, it's like he had to really come to terms with what sin had done in his own life. Which gets us to this conversation of sin for us as God's people. You know, we have to sometimes talk about this little word that creates many problems for all of us. It's certainly very evident in the world today, as we well know, and we could um, talk all about that. Um, but we want to talk about what God wants to say to us about this one thing. So the next scripture I sort of wanted to bring up in this is Exodus 15:26, And it says that he said, verse 26, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Very sobering text, isn't it? It's not something you know you feel like super encouraged reading, um, but you do get encouraged because actually what the Lord is telling us here is you want to stay out of sickness and disease. This is how you do it. You obey Him. Um, and you know this this verse in, in Exodus was known to uh, David. Um, because Moses wrote it, wrote the first five books. This was in the first five books, and that's what they lived their life according to. They read their, you know, this was the covenant of the Lord uh, to Israel. So it was about listening carefully to his voice, doing what is right in God's eyes, not what is right in your eyes, paying attention to his commands, not what you want, and keeping all his decrees, not decreeing things for yourself. Because he heals us. Which in reverse would say, if we abide by these things, there might be a healing for us that we can obtain through our obedience that we wouldn't obtain if we were disobedient. Does that make sense? So some of you here are getting squirmy because you know you're living in some disobedience. And um, it's not that I am unsquirmy reading these verses um, because we all have stuff in our life that we would just love not to be dealing with. And we think, well, is it me, O oh Lord? Am I the one that's at fault here? 
And I think that's a beautiful place to be before the Lord, which is called humility. It's like, oh God, I want to do your will. I want to live a life pleasing unto you, and I want to examine myself. You know, the, um, one of the songs that I thought about as we're talking about sin it was written by Brian Dorkson uh, years ago, and it's called At the Cross. And it's, I know a place, a wonderful place, where accused and condemned find mercy and grace, where the wrongs done to us and the wrongs we have done were nailed there with him there on the cross. You know, sin and its effects sometimes is not only what we do, but it's what done to us. Um... We all know someone that's been sinned against in in sometimes violent ways, sometimes sexually violent ways. You've been sinned against and it's marred your soul and it's created a need for you to be healed by the touch and the presence of Jesus. Part of that process is really just coming to God. Part of that process will be forgiveness. But nonetheless, it's just a beautiful song that I, I think about often, you know, because... It is where you feel accused, you feel condemned, you feel bad. You're wondering, are you doing the right thing? These are those you know, heartfelt moments that we all have with Jesus in our quiet place. You might be having it driving down the freeway. You never know, but we have them all the time. So, I'm, uh, so I wrote down here that sin brings sickness, which is a rather troubling statement. I understand that. And it's not... It's not conclusive, but it is important. And so it says in Psalm 107, 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Wow. I suffer affliction because of my iniquities. Bummer. But what did David say? It says, he heals all my, forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. And ultimately, that's absolutely true. But then in reality, for us that believe in the kingdom, we believe there's something for us today where we can be healed and forgiven from all these maladies that want to jump on us. David further reflected in Psalm 38, and he said this. He said, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger and discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me, and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble. I'm utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. I mean, man, David is pouring out his soul to God. He's not saying, I didn't do anything wrong. He's saying, man, I am in trouble. And you got to touch me, Lord. You know? No health in his bones. No soundness. Overwhelmed with guilt, his back is filled with pain. My my friend Ken Fish um, looks at f- scriptures like this sometimes and calls them. Um, he wants to have a phenomenological interpretation. I love that big fancy word. In other words, 
What's the Holy Spirit phenomenon that then we can use this text for to unlock a person's need for healing? Sometimes your afflictions come from your sin, and your sin causes you to have back pain. That's a discovery that's made as you begin to pray for people to have physical illnesses healed. That sometimes there's other issues that are more underlying in our souls that help us harbor these infirmities. And it's important for us all to get free of these infirmities because we have the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to do that. And that's the power of the kingdom that we can walk in around here. And that's the power we want to walk in. We all want to set people free, and we ourselves want to be set free. David says in Psalm 32, not to pile on here, uh, but he says, Blessed is whose transgressions are forgiving, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And then he says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, and threw my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was upon, heavy upon me, and strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Wow. That's the transaction right there. That's the transaction. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. But what happened? He got... He got quiet on God. It's like, I don't have a problem. I'm cool. I didn't do anything wrong. I'll just keep my mouth shut and get away with it. <laughs> you know, The New Testament calls it really the conviction of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, it's not guilt. It's awareness. God's saying, where are you? you know, You're headed down the wrong alley. It's getting dark. You're like, oh, I can do this. I can make it happen. God's like, you probably can't make it happen. In fact, it's probably getting pretty ugly out there. Right? Anybody ever been here? Am I the only one, you know, that tries to work in darkness? Just uh, kind of have to see it that way sometimes because that's really what it is. Lord, just let me walk in darkness a little bit. I mean, like, really? Um, we kind of act like that, though. At least I would confess my sin to you that I try to get away with stuff sometimes. Maybe in my ignorance, of course. Um, I'm not really trying to be brashly rebellious. Um, but then I wrote here that uh, then confession brings healing. And that's what David just kind of did. He confessed his transgression, and the guilt came off him just like the sin came off him. Because that's what we have when we're in sin and we're unrepentant, is we feel guilty. People are like, well, Christians don't feel guilt. Well, Sinful Christians feel guilt. <laughs> you know, Good Christians feel conviction because they get that before they walk on the guilt. James says this, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Pretty simple, isn't it? Just go to your friend, Confess your sin, ask for prayer. Done. The Catholic Church made a whole reality out of this called the priesthood, where you get to a little box and say, Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. You know, it's been like 42 years since my last confession. These are the 150,000 sins I've had since I was last here. 
Um, I was raised Catholic, so I know that little ditty. And, uh, um, but it works, you know. It's almost like a Protestant church sometimes could use a confessional um, because we don't want to tell our friends what we did wrong. And uh, so it'd be like, oh, just go to the little box back here, and, you know, there's a guy back there who will hear your sins. And um, I mean, that's what the Catholics really had in mind, first of all, was, well, let's do somebody trusted that the congregation can trust, and they can go pour out their soul and say, these are my sins. You know? Um, Christian, the Our Father, and all that kind of stuff came along. Lord help us. First um, John 1 8 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has some illnesses that you don't need. You know, maybe you've kind of invited him in. And I say maybe because it's a maybe. Every person's situation is unique. Not everybody will benefit from this. Some do. A lot do. But not everyone. And that's important for you to know for your own soul. And it's important for you to know for the souls of other people that you know and love. Is you don't condemn them if there's something wrong. You pray and kind of investigate. Is what's How are you doing with the Lord? How are you doing with what he's asked you to be doing? Are you living in rebellion towards the Lord? Why would you want to do that? I mean, have some compassion for people. There's a reason they're not doing it right. Why? Why are they broken? Why are they in pain? Why are they hurting? Let's help each other be better at what God wants us to do. And finally, forgiveness brings healing. It's, it's true. So here's the story in Mark chapter 2. And um, what happens is the, the paralytic man comes up and Jesus just says to him, your sins have been forgiven. And then he's healed. Marvelous. How'd that work? He, Jesus didn't pray for healing. He forgave his sins and all of a sudden he was healed. Doesn't that tell us something about the power of sin, the power of forgiveness? About what that means for the healing of our own souls as well as the healing of this paralytic so this had a natural consequence of an internal shift. Because something happened to his own soul in forgiveness, his body changed. Our outward realities is a reflection of our inner dignities. It's just true. The um, word commentary that I read a little bit of uh, said forgiveness, it says God who forgives and heals healing is the outward side of his gracious forgiveness it's kind of a beautiful quote really, so in other words we should never really underestimate the power of forgiveness because the power of forgiveness might transform your body and heal your body heal my body <laughs> I had a bad back, I stood up this morning because I have a bad back, I'm like oh God is it sin, you know I mean it's like um, in my case, probably. Um, but anyway, the truth is, is that we we all have some sense of sin uh, in us, which is just missing the mark. It would be a New Testament definition. We just miss the mark sometimes. 
all right, we don't want to do it, we change. It says, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, go to the Father, get forgiven, and move on. That's what we're supposed to do. Don't harbor your sin. So sin has brought that. So I wanted to just bring up one more aspect of, of kind of this investigation reality. So I, I went to Psalm 139, 20, uh, 23, and 24. And it says this, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, the New King James, the King James would say, See if there's any wicked way in me. <laughs> and every time I'd read that, I'd go, I don't like that verse. I don't want to sit there and go, See if there's any wicked way in me. I'm sure there is. I mean, that's how guilty I felt. And um, But then I began to kind of investigate this scripture a while back um, only because I, I looked up one of the w- words and um, it sort of unlocked some things to me about my own investigation. And what it really talks about is, you know, search my heart, O God, and try me and know my disquieting thoughts and see if there's any wicked or painful or sorrowful ways. So I, I begin to be appealed to by the Lord in the sense of, um, do I have disquieting thoughts? Do I have sorrows and pains that I'm harboring because I'm not letting God search out and heal and help? Or am I, am I like David where he says, I'm trying to hide and be quiet? You know, There's a verse in Proverbs, I think, and he, it says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. Well, that's separating ourselves from the Lord, I think, and also separating ourselves from one another. Uh, you know, certainly in marriage, if we're trying to separate ourselves, seek our own desire, that's not going to work out very well either. Um, no relationship works out well in an independent fashion. It works out well in a cohesive fashion of, of unified commitment. So, um, of course, in Psalm 139, I wanted to bring out that as you read that psalm, God knows every single thing about us. You know, he formed our bones, right? From the foundation of the earth, he knew who we were. And then at the very end, it, it, David writes, you know, it's search me, O God, and know my thoughts. It's like, well, didn't you just write down that he knows every single thing about you? It's like you're saying, God knows everything about me, but don't search my heart. He made your heart. He, he totally gets it. We can't hide from God. David said in another psalm, you know, if I make my bed in hell, your presence is there with me. It's like, wow. So no matter where you are, God never leaves you. God never forsakes you. That is our covenant God. Our covenant God will never leave you. You might leave him. There's that old phrase, if you feel far away from God, guess who moved? (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little about forgiveness. Um, I just looked it up in the Webster Dictionary because if he forgives, I'm still on verse 3. That's how far I've gotten so far. Um, verse 3 says he forgives all our sins what does that mean? forgiveness is this in the Webster Dictionary it's to cease to feel resentment against to give up resentment or a claim of requital or to grant a relief of payment so cease to feel resentment when God forgives you he doesn't resent anything you've ever done In fact, this text says later on, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's in a horizontal 
matrix, those things never touch. Never touch. Your, your sins are just out of his mind forever. And he resents no one for having done anything through forgiveness. Now that's, that's our challenge then in the realm of forgiveness. Do we have people we haven't forgiven and have we released that resentment? If we haven't released that resentment, it will rend havoc in your body. Because your unforgiveness is your undoing. It's my undoing. You know, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. And see if there is any disquieting way in me. Is there anything churning in me that you actually want to touch and you want to minister to, Father, and make me better, make me whole, set me free? So I wrote this down, too. If you eliminate the processes, you impede the blessings. These are processes we have to go through as Christians. You know, what he says, he heals our diseases and, um, you know, forgives all our sins. That's absolutely a true statement. But there are processes in that, wouldn't you agree? Even when we first came to Christ, you know, part of that process was, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be born again. Something like that. I want to be born from heaven. I want to be with you, Jesus, because you are the truth and the life and the way. I wrote this in my notes, says it a little differently. It says, God forgives our sins sovereignly. Then we must deal with our sin responsibly. And then we thank God. It's done. It's all done. The interesting thing is, it was done in Psalm 103. And those of us who believe in Christ as the Messiah, as believers, we believe he did it on the cross. Well, he did do it on the cross. But God also had the power to forgive all sin, then as well as now. God never gave up that right to forgive people of their sin. That was always part of the negotiation, always part of the reality of walking with God the Father, is that he forgives sin. That's who he is. I want to talk about diseases for a minute. If he heals all our diseases. If I was to ask a show of hands, how many people have been healed of something in this church? Raise your hand. Pretty amazing. A lot of healing in this church. I, I would pray that every church out there uh, would see as many hands raised as I just saw raised in this church. That every church should have healing in part of its message. Healing of our souls for eternal life and healing of our, our broken little bodies uh, that happen just because of the frailties of life. Uh, but when he says he heals all our diseases, I looked up the word diseases and sickness in the New Testament once. And, um, of course, in the Hebrew here it talks about to be sick, have maladies, illnesses, problems. And the New Testament breaks it down a little further and says it's weaknesses. So the word in the, in the Greek uh, for sickness is nosos. Now, from nosos in your... Uh, Epistiology of knowing the word origins and whatever. Um, nosology is the branch of medical science dealing with the classification of diseases. Did you know that? There's a whole world out there of scientific investigation discovering the diseases of the world. The Washington Post had an article in 2019 
2017, and it said there's 10,000 known diseases in the world today of which man might have cures for 500. We're in trouble. That's a lot of diseases in the world today. But if diseases include weaknesses as well as sicknesses, you know, we're just not talking about malaria and typhoid. We're talking about weaknesses. When you wake up listless and you wake up um, fractured, you wake up betrayed. Can God heal that? Yes. That's the weaknesses that God can touch. So people would say, well, no, your illness was just psychosomatic. I'm like, whatever it was, it's not there anymore. I don't care. I'm not having to deal with a thing anymore. Thank God somebody prayed for me. That's really the course of action here. Is what's ever dogging you, as we might say in our dialect today, whatever is oppressing you, get prayer. Confess. Go after it. Get rid of it. Be better. Be whole. Be happy. That's what we want. That's the invitation here. So um, now I'm going to get to verse 4. He redeems our life from the pit. So what we might know about David is that he said, through this healing and everything, he felt like he now was not going to die. Because being delivered from the pit, man, that he felt like this affliction that he had was unto death. And he praised God for it. He went, praise the Lord, O my soul, Man, he redeemed my life from the pit. That's, that's important, too. I mean, sometimes we don't have that kind of perspective when we get healed of little things. Is, you know, this, this little sickness wasn't unto death. And maybe some of you have had sicknesses that were leading towards death and God arrested that reality and, and changed and saved your life. That's absolutely something you can learn to praise the Lord about. huh? And I'm sure you have. I'm not saying you haven't. And then he crowns us with love and compassion. And the word, uh, when he crowns us with love and compassion, the word love is hesed. And this word hesed is a, is a big word. So I just wanted to make note and tell you that there's a book written by a guy named Michael Card. He wrote it several years ago. And it's called Hesed. And this is kind of the explanation. It says, it's a concept so rich in meaning that it doesn't translate well into any single English word or phrase. Michael Card unpacks the many dimensions of hesed, often expressed as loving kindness, covenant faithfulness and steadfast love. And that's who God is. He has hesed love for us. He has hesed loving kindness. Hesed covenant faithfulness. Really, we know a God that is more for us than you are for you. He, he thinks very highly of us. But he wants us to walk in his ways. And he satisfies our desires, verse 5, with good things, so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. So the word renew, it's also in you know, Isaiah 40, right? You know, um, those who wait on the Lord renew their strength like an eagle, it says in Isaiah 40. Well, the root word renew, we'll flip us over to a little verse in Job 14, uh, verse 7. And it'll say this. Um, for there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. That word, will sprout again, is the word renew. So here's the word picture. Here's, here's, here's my story. So we have a, a, 
a, basically a grapevine somebody gave us 12 years ago. They gave us this little sprig, a little Concord grape thing. Uh, we put it in a pot, and over the last 12 years, it's all over the place. We just kind of let it grow wild and free, you know. Um, then we were doing some uh, landscaping around the house and kind of stopped the, the drip system. Well, then that vine just kind of dried up. All the leaves fell off, and we had just a bunch of sticks. Uh, so Brenda went over there and did her pruning routine and, you know, cut that little thing back to just nothing. And we thought, oh, well, God bless our little plant. <laughs> it was nice 12 years. We killed it. We didn't water it. And uh, it's like, oh, well, uh, I thought, bummer. Um, but I thought, well, maybe it's a sign. Yeah, whatever. So um, <laughs> it's a sign you didn't water your plant. Um, yeah, <laughs> just saying. So... Um, so we got this thing fixed, and all of a sudden the drip system came back on, and within about two weeks, it's it started to grow again, and now it's like this big. Wow, it's amazing what water will do for a plant. You know, it's like, it's amazing what happens when we water our own souls. Just amazing, you know. Just think if you watered your soul with the things of the Lord. So, but that's the that's the story here is that he satisfies our desires with good things so that our strength can be renewed like the eagle. Um, as I thought about that, renewed like the eagle, some of the ways that we approach Scripture being a prophetic people is that we look in this kind of with a prophetic lens on and we'll say, you know, once God renews us from something that was once broken, we have a little bit more prophetic insight. Because eagle is not only a reference to dignity and loyalty and, and goodness and strength, but to the prophetic community, an eagle is somebody that soars high above the dilemma and has a sense of vision that others don't have. And I think, wow, that is true. Sometimes when we find ourselves restored by the power of God and then we're renewed, that we become have more insights about our life and more insights about the life around us. So in a sense, sometimes even reading a simple text like this that has a, a rudimentary definition, it also has prophetic insights for us. And my encouragement always in the school is, hey, let's look at what the text has to say. Then if we want to have prophetic insights, that's cool. I mean, it can be really cool. But let's not avoid what it actually was talking about in, in originally. So then verse 6 says this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And he goes on to say in verse 7, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in hesed. He will not always accuse. Nice to know he won't always accuse, which means that sometimes he will. Nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I would say this, sometimes it isn't the Lord who creates the problem from your sin, your sin creates the problem. You know, just because you sin doesn't mean he's going to curse you, doesn't mean he's going to torment you. That's not what God does in your sin. In fact, when we think about what God does in our sin, let's just use a couple of examples. We go to, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, right? Everybody says, well, God won't talk to you if you're in sin. That's one of the old phrases out there in the old church. I don't know if it's much out there anymore. God won't talk to you if you're living in sin. Well, so Adam and Eve, you know, eat of the garden, right? They take the fruit off the tree. What's the first thing God does? Where are you? 
He immediately talked to them. They said, you guys are naked. What did he do? He killed an animal and clothed them. Which is kind of a picture of Christ and a sacrifice to cover us from our sins. So God not only talked to them, he covered them. He helped them in their sin. One of our favorite verses around here is that, you know, uh, Isaiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah 29. I have plans for you, saith the Lord, to prosper you and to help you and things like that, right? Well, you know, this, this verse, Jeremiah 29, is really interesting. It's interesting to me because as you study the prophets, what you've been doing the last couple of years a little bit more diligently is that, you know, from Isaiah to Hosea to every single one of those guys, they're basically saying, Israel, you're doing things really, really wrong. You're bad. You've done all the wrong things, and God's going to get you for it. God's going to get you for it. And then finally Jeremiah goes, you're going away for 70 years, right? On the way out of town, as they're going away to captivity, Jeremiah's like, and the Lord says, but I have good plans for you in captivity. So I'm sending you away, but guess what? I'm going to bless you. I'm like, what? I thought he was punishing us for our sins. God's like, oh yeah, you're going to get punished by being in captivity, but I'm going to bless you. I'm like, what? What kind of a God do we serve? We don't even understand how good God is sometimes. Even though our actions might set us aside for a time, being a little captivity, God will still be there to provide for us. Did you know that? We have a very gracious and compassionate God that is very slow to anger. That's what he told Moses on the mount. To tell him this. He didn't just say, tell him I am that I am. He tell him, I'm rich in love and slow in anger. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Wow. Even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our disease, yes, absolutely. You know, that's what the world needs to know is sin is not a word unto death. Sin is a word that defines the condition you have that's leading to your destruction. And through coming to God, your sins can be forgiven and you can be made whole. Only Jesus can really set your soul free. Only Jesus. Him alone. I want to spend a little time breaking down this sin concept a little bit more. Um, because there's three words here, verse 10 through 12, says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Um, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions. So there's three different words here, sins, iniquities, and transgressions. So I gave you a scripture here out of Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 51. It says this, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So what it says about this word sin in that context is it's a condition of guilt and sin. David's saying, I was born into a condition of guilt and sin. Our friend John Calvin would say that total depravity. Fine, that's a nice ugly term. Uh, Nonetheless, what it's saying is all of us are born in some sense of sin, which means that we all need a savior. That's all it really means to me. Uh, but so sin is that that consequence of being born into this world. Number two, we have uh, iniquities. And so in uh, Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6, 
it says this, that he will punish the children for the sin, the iniquities of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. There are certain prayers uh, that people make sometimes to break what you call generational curses or generational iniquities. And I think those prayers can be very valid for some people. Some people, they're not, they're, they don't work. It doesn't matter, you know, because that's not your problem. That's why it doesn't work. But so iniquities are generational. In other words, you think about the, the character traits that you've inherited from your parents. Uh, maybe the diseases you inherited from your parents. Uh, maybe whatever you've inherited from your parents or your grandparents. In fact, there's a book by a guy named Peter Scherzo. I think that's how you say his name. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And in this book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, he has a, a chapter called um, Your Grandparents Are in Your Bones. And he really says as a leader sometimes is when you're up against the wall and things aren't working out very well, what's going to manifest out of you, and this is just an evangelical guy. He's not even Pentecostal or charismatic. Um, he's evangelical saying, you know, when you get pushed up against the wall, how your parents behave during those times is how you'll probably behave. So, you know, so like I was raised by a daddy like he yelled at me. Uh, he never cussed at me as I reflected, <laughs> uh, but he yelled at me. And so... You know, of course, in the course of uh, early marriage or, you know, whatever, you know, things get a little tough. You raise your voice and scream. That's what Dad did. It worked. Well, it's never really worked out for me that well. <laughs> hey, you know, not, no, nope, doesn't work. Yelling and screaming at people doesn't help. You know, just because it worked for my dad. So as I found that generation reality, it's something I had to take to the Lord and get rid of this iniquity. That my anger and my the way my dad did life was not the way I'm supposed to do life in Christ. I have to let that thing be crucified in me by the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit. i got to change the way I live. I have to say, I'm wrong. This isn't going to work. Because I don't like the outcome of this behavior. It may work for him, doesn't work for me. So that would be my, my one example on that. And then transgressions can be really defined as a personal action or a revolt. Actual transgression is also really interpreted as maybe rebellion. Well, I don't know who you are uh, in your life. I, I know Eddie's here today, and he's written a marvelous book on the Father's love. And in that book, he talks about how his issue with his father was performance orientation. And I was reflecting on that because I hear Eddie teach that a lot, is that you know, my, my issue really with my dad was not performance. It was rebellion. Um, the way I grew up with my father, that was my response as a youth as I just became rebellious. And I realized that that rebellion in me um, still is existent. I can be rebellious. And I know before the Lord that's not the way to live. So I constantly have to, in a sense, crucify myself, die to myself, die to those tendencies that I have as kind of a natural consequence of the reality that I live in, and take it to the cross and say, I don't want to be rebellious. I really don't. But I have to, once I confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive my sin. And when sin is forgiven, it loses its power. And that's what you want. You want the power of God to work for you, not the power of sin to work against you. And that would be me. So, uh, kind of... Finishing off, in a sense, I talk about our obligation. So verse 7 through 17, I, I tried to wrap this thing up the other day, and I realized, oh gosh, uh, in this text, it says this. It says, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
it says in verse 11. And then it says, verse 13, And the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And then in verse 17 it says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. I thought, wow, this word fear is in there three times. The word love is in there three times as well in Psalm 103, but fear is in there. So how do you define this word fear? You know how you define it out of a lexicon? Be afraid. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be afraid of God. Oh, yes, you are. I would, I would submit this to you. If you and I were more afraid of God, yeah. we would live differently. Yeah. It's okay. Because I, I wrote this down. I said, because there is a fear that freezes... And there is the fear that inspires. This fear of God is one that inspires, not frees. You don't remember, you know, what free, <laughs> you've all had dreams, most likely, of fear, and you're frozen, right? Maybe you haven't had a dream like that, but maybe you've had a reality like that, that something you just froze in your tracks out of fear. This, this is not that fear. This is a good fear. It's a healthy fear. Uh, goes on to say, uh, actually, in, in several texts here, but one being um, in Genesis, it's the, actually the first mention of it, and it says, um, "Do not lay your hand on the boy, as Abraham's going to maybe, you know, sacrifice Isaac. Do not do him any harm. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son." So as Abraham is about ready to sacrifice his son, God says, "You don't have to, because you fear me." You're more afraid of me than anything else. I can use that. And that's the man of the covenant promise. Abraham. He's the man of the covenant promise. He had that sense of awe and awareness and fear of God. It's okay to fear God. This is the right thing. It says fear is the beginning of wisdom. What kind of fear is that? It's respect. And it goes on here in this other verse. And it, uh, it says this too. It talks about how that in Joshua they feared him and they revered him. And it talks about in uh, about your parents. You must respect your mother and father. And the word respect is fear your mother and father. And I would reckon to tell you that parents today who don't create a healthy respect for parenthood in the hearts of their own children, their children grow up to be much more destructive in culture than those that have walked in a house of honor. Children aren't to be your friends. They're your responsibilities. That's the most important thing we can do as parents is be responsible for our children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart for it. It doesn't say be a friend to your child. It says train your child. And I, it's important to say this, is that it's not about the hammer, it's about the heart. You have a heart for your children to help them. You don't just have a hammer to tell them no. So important. Teach them the fear of the Lord. Live a life fearing the Lord, and they'll model it. They won't, maybe they won't model anger, maybe they'll model fear. Healthy, respectful, honor, and fear. Verse 18 goes on to talk about the covenant love of God again. It says, that those who keep his covenant remember to obey his precepts. So again, it's kind of our responsibility. We're to obey the covenant. And then it ends with this. Verse 20, it says, Praise you, praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, 
all his works everywhere in his dominion. He starts out praising the Lord. He ends up praising the Lord. But he mentions this one little thing about angels, and he says, His angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding and obey his word. There's another, uh, in Psalm 104, he talks about angels as well. He says he makes them his messengers, flames of fire, and his servants. And that in Hebrews it says that are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So I'm going to end with my little angel testimony, which I don't share very often, but I'm going to share it today because it's an angel verse. So unfortunately, I had the experience of being divorced from my first wife. Um, she was nice enough to tell me that God told her to leave, and uh, so she did. And I'm like, well, that's probably not my God, but whatever. Uh, that's my story. Um, as painful as it is, it's true. Um, after 27 years of my first marriage and a divorce, and I cried, and it was painful, but, you know, God told her to leave. Um, true story. But because of that, I got to marry beautiful Brenda here, and we've been married um, almost 20 years. So. Thank God for that. And uh, thank God for second marriages. It's not, I would say, the perfect plan, but it's my perfect plan. So as I'm going through the divorce proceedings, um, you know, and I'm talking to my, um, my ex-wife um, in that proceeding, it's, uh, it was like, well, I, want, I told her, I want the house, you can have the money. Because in California, you just split assets. Just, it's not personal. Well, that's what the law says. It's very personal. Um, <laughs> is that, uh, so I just said, I want the house. You can have the assets. So then as, as we go through all this stuff, and it takes a year you know, to go through this pain of divorce, which even makes it worse, um, I began to reflect on this impression that I had in my own home. So years and years earlier, uh, down the hall in my home, in between two bedrooms, I had this impression there was a warring angel in my house. Now, don't ask me why I'm thinking that. I have no idea why I'm thinking that. I'm just well aware of it. It's not like I look down the hallway and see something. I just know in my mind's oh, he's there. And when I'd look, it'd be like, yep, there he is. He's about this tall, bigger than me, and yeah, he's there. Well, as years go by, I, I leave that house. We buy another house. And in that house, same thing happens. In between the two bedrooms, there's this warring angel. Now, as things begin to heat up, because we were in this conflict for quite some time. This angel was always there. Now, I didn't really reflect on this till, in a sense, when things are completed, but what took place is that, you know, as the, as the court date began to loom and all that stuff, this angel began to grow. And all of a sudden, the thing's like 12 feet tall. I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's the way I see things. I say, I see spiritual things in my mind's eye. And some of you in this sanctuary today are probably seeing angelic things. I'm sure somebody out there is, you know, because that's how you're wired. You just see in the spiritual realm. So I'm aware of the spiritual realm in my own house. Now, as the court date even gets closer, all of a sudden this angel straddles my house. I'm like, wow, this is interesting, you know. And I'm thinking, that's, I, I, it's just it's as real to me as anything. Well, I go to court, I get the house. That's what I wanted. And I really felt like God provided angelic assistance for me to get what I asked for. Why did I tell you that? Because I think that sometimes it says in Hebrews, you know, be aware you might entertain angels more often than you're aware. 
Angels are part of this story of God's blessing in our lives. The angelic realm is real. You know, it's very real. The demonic realm is real. But the angelic realm is too. And those angels are sent to us as heirs of salvation. So as we reflect on this psalm in closing, it's a song of praise, it's a song of thanksgiving, but it's also got some serious introspection about how we might deal with the things that afflict us, the unforgiveness, the need for healing. So why don't you stand with me, and I'll close in prayer. It's your kindness, O Lord, that brings us to repentance. We know, Father, you are gracious and compassionate, and you are slow to anger and rich in love. This morning I want to invite you to come forward if there's been anything in your soul that you would say, I need to dump this at the altar today. I need to ask God's forgiveness. I need to repent of something and change my mind about how I'm doing something. In fact, I need healing in my body and it might be because of something that I'm doing and I want to get rid of it. So I'm going to ask you to come forward right now and get prayer. There are people up here to pray for you or just come forward and say, Father, heal me and touch me. When David was silent before the Lord, he was in pain. When he expressed his need, the pain left. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to just descend upon all of us right now. Set us free from all sin and all disease. That is your promise to us, that you would set us free from all sin and all disease. And sometimes we'll even use the angelic realm to get it done. So Father, I thank you and I glorify you and I praise you. I praise you for all the things you've done for me and all the things you've done for us and all the things you're continuing to do for us for all eternity. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Amen.